welcome to Golf Lovers United, where we discuss golf the fair way. And today, I truly believe that we have one of the best interviews of 2023 in the entire golf industry. While I was away last week doing my at Golf Dad UK vacation with the family, Jay and Ben sat down with investor, golf commentator, self-professed golf nut, Mr. Bob Ball, at Bob Ball PDX on Twitter. And they discuss the mechanics of the PGA PIF deal. They discuss the future of professional golf. They discuss, perhaps very timely, in fact, one Mr. John Ram. And of course... They look into some of the failings around professional golf over the last 18 to 24 months and how this entire scenario came about. Now, Bob is someone that, as I said earlier, is a self-professed geek, but not only a golf geek, a business geek, an investor, a private equity, deep dive analyst who knows how to take a landscape and dig deep into it. And it really is, honestly, this is one of the best interviews. And I'm not just saying it because I'm sat here as part of the production recording and hosting team here at Golf Lovers United. I'm saying this because this is genuinely one of the best interviews that I've heard for a while about golf and not just the game of golf, the business of golf. And We've actually got a few of these coming up, I've got to tell you. I was away, like I said, doing a little bit of vacay with the old family. So Ben and Jay decided to run a couple of interviews that are fantastic. We've got the wonderful Stuart Manley coming up, who has won his DP World Tour card back at the age of 44. We've got the wonderful, highly talented superstar, Luke Kwan. And we've got Mr. Billy Gowin from Fair Play Exchange, a startup in the golf space that is looking to change the way honestly, that we have fun on and around the game of golf. Before we get into the interview, though, I do need to give a quick shout out. You might remember that a couple of weeks ago, we launched our GLU Fan Zone. I announced it on this episode and we talked about it over on Twitter at GLU Golf Club. We've got a couple of fans joined our Fan Zone over the last week. We've got the wonderful John Erickson and our first ever GLU brand ambassador that you will find in all of our podcast show notes moving forward and over the last few episodes as well. We've got the wonderful at LiveGolf54, who, as I say, is our first ever GLU brand ambassador. What does it mean to be a brand ambassador? Well, it means that, well, you can get involved. You can ask your question of our guests on our episodes. You can get your invites to our meetups, to our invitationals, and so much more. So if you want to get involved and be a part of that fan zone. You can do so at glugc.com slash support. If you enjoy this amazing interview with the superb Bob Ball, do tell your friends that they can also enjoy it over on YouTube. They can enjoy it over on their podcast app of choice or at glugc.com. Have some fun with this one because it really is one of the best interviews that I've heard in golf throughout this year. Let me just set the table. It was July last year. There was it was a, it was a few weeks after the merger. Conversations had, had first been launched, and you put up a, a tweet about a message to all of the players, um, all the PGA Tour players, and it was basically sort of a heartfelt. It, you wrote it from what was a very informative point of view. Um, with your background being an investor, being involved in private equity, being involved in the legal side of both of those as well as the financial side. 
But it was a heartfelt message to the players. And what was just a normal Twitter post, a long one and a good one, ended up being retweeted by a certain uh, Phil Mickelson and then by about 10 other tour players and players in the world of golf. And I just checked now and it's got over 5 million views. So you put out a tweet and all of a sudden you're now the go-to man and you've recently done a three-parter on the players involved in the merger. So, Bob, just tell us very quickly, you pressed send and then... (laughs) What happened? Well, um, one, I was not a prolific Twitter user. (laughs) So um, I had just decided to start kind of figuring out how to use it. And um, the the notifications were on. So every time somebody liked like a tweet or something, my phone was dinging and and buzzing. So it was a Sunday evening, I think. And... um, I, I wrote it and we could talk about how I got there, you know, well, but when, when I wrote it, I, I was actually going to bed and uh, I'm, I, I usually go to bed pretty early and I'm an early riser. So I wrote it and sort of put my phone down and didn't really think about it and really uh, didn't think, you know, I didn't know how many people would you know look at it. Um, and uh, I, I went to bed and I don't know why I didn't, hear it before then, but in the middle of the night, my damn phone was, <laughs> was buzzing. It was dinging and I got up and I'm like, what the heck? And I couldn't figure out, I didn't know I was trying to get inside of Twitter. It was going crazy. And I was getting inside of Twitter to try to figure out how to stop. And I didn't realize that you have to do that from your iPhone. <laughs> so it was literally buzzing and dinging all night. And I looked at it and I think it was somewhere, you know, Several hundred, maybe even four hundred thousand people had had already viewed it and were liking it, were commenting on it, and I was like, "Oh my god!" So I I ended up putting my phone in my closet <laughs> so I could go back to sleep because I couldn't get it to stop. And so the next morning, I got up and I can't remember uh, if it was right away in the morning. I actually think it was first thing in the morning. I, I looked at it again and it had really blown up and it was because Phil Mickelson had retweeted it. And um, I was utterly shocked by that. And um, uh, so I, I, you know, I was r- really stunned and it had gone from that 400,000 was up in, you know, over a million plus, you know, by that, that time. And so uh, it was, it was interesting for sure. That, that had never happened to me before. And look, it's 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 happened again since slightly lesser scale, but still with your your three players in the game, and we'll talk about that. And I know we're going to ask loads of questions, but I want to let get let get let Jay get in here because I know that you mentioned the phrase. I'll come on to how I wrote it, but we've meant if we said, look, you're an investor, you do private equity, um, you were part of a computer startup which built the very first piece of software for realtors, all that type of thing, but. That's very different, isn't it, Jay, to to writing an article which basically was heartfelt and investigative almost into the merger. What, what did you think of it, Jay? And then obviously, Bob, how did you write it? Yeah, 100%. Like, I think that's been one of the great things that's sort of come out of everything in the past year and a half in the golf world is the fact that um, um, I've called myself sort of a citizen journalist because, <clears throat> you know, it's gotten to the point in the golf media uh, the more corporate golf media where like they weren't talking about the real story of behind live, like almost at all. It was so 
clear to me sort of what was was going on that like I felt the need to comment to basically put all of my thoughts down on paper and and sort of create an article that uh, talked about, you know, everything going on that like nobody else was really talking about. And I felt like uh, that sort of created this space on social media for independent folks like myself and uh, and Bob to sort of come in and sort of really uh, supply something that fans were really looking for, like fans of golf really want to know like more about what's actually going on rather than this sort of spin that's sort of going on in the corporate media that we all know is very, very tied to the PJ tour and the golf uh, establishment. I think that that much has been very, very clear from, from the beginning. And this has been sort of a, uh, it's been an eyebrow raising thing for me, this uh, whole process. So um, I think Bob, you, you kind of had a similar um, experience, just, just sort of given your background and your aptitude for, you know, uh, just just being able to tap into the right uh, tap into the ether when it comes to uh, kind of how some of these investments work, like uh, the business of sport, the business of golf. Like, I feel like you've had some really, really great insights that, I mean, frankly, the golf media is not really even qualified to talk. <laughs> well, you know, um, what's interesting, what actually brought me to to live golf was I'd heard about it. I thought, well, that's a great idea. That, that'll be fun and interesting and it's something new. And actually what brought me to it was my experience in politics. Um, you, you know, here, here in uh, Portland, I've been involved in a number of campaigns. Our, our last governor, uh, she left office now, but I was the, the chair of her finance committee, you know, for her election. I've done ballot measures here in the city of Portland. And when you're in a big city and, and you're involved in the political sphere, if you will, you learn some things. And what, you know, Liv, Liv had come out and, um, and I thought it was great. And I was excited that it was coming to Portland. It was going to be the, the stop. And I was watching, you know, I, I had felt that, uh, that the, the players, the things that were being said about them, you know, were unfair just from a surface view, but I wasn't really uh, heavily invested in it. But what really got me invested in is when they came to Pumpkin Ridge, Portland was their first U.S. stop, essentially. I don't know if you remember, there was London and Portland. And when they came here, there were protesters out, you know, outside of Pumpkin Ridge. And I'm like, wait a minute, I know enough about politics. I'm in the investment world and I read the Wall Street Journal every day. And they were protesting PIF's investment, the public investment fund, Saudi Arabia. And I'm like, that's crazy. PIF is everywhere. I mean, there's a reason that North Korea cannot trade on our exchanges is because the powers that be decide who can invest and who can't. That's above all of our pay grade. And PIF is invested in, you know, Uber and Boeing and Tesla and Live Nation and, you know, so many companies. And I knew this because I read the Wall Street Journal and I, I pay attention to the capital markets. And so when I saw protesters out there, and when you think about the lack of protesters, I said, something's wrong here. These people just don't show up for some golfers. It was uncharacteristic. That's where my instincts in politics came. And, you know, one of our locals, uh, our U.S. senators, one of them, he was involved. I'm like, oh, my goodness, great. You know, I smelled a rat right away. And that got me interested in, in the topic. So 
I started paying a lot more attention to what was going on. Um, I decided to maybe start writing uh, some stuff on Twitter. And I think one of the first ones I got a couple hundred thousand views was I, I was playing golf in Palm Springs uh, at the vintage club and I got picked up afterwards. I got picked up on my Uber and you know, the guy's like, how'd you play? And I'm like, ah, you know, I played okay. You know, the fairways were wide. That was good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, we were talking about this and that, and you know, I'm kind of looking at him. I was like, I said, you know, you look like a golfer. And it turns out now he's, he's come out and I, I didn't mention his name when I first posted about it, do, do you know, because of his privacy, but it was Barry Henson and uh, Barry, um, uh, and I said, are you a golf? I, I said, are you a pro golfer? Cause I like, just, a rec- you know, you know, hit me and I'd seen him before. And he said, yeah. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, Oh, <laughs> I said, what do you drive an Uber for? He goes, Oh, I like it, but you know, it's good to make extra money. You know, I'm off season. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, uh, after that happened that, you know, we have so many golfers in, you know, that, that in the business that are pro golfers and I'm thinking, you know, they, they barely make it. You know, they're, they're out on these tours and they can barely survive. You know, they're sort of left to their own devices. They don't have teams. And it made me think about teams more like, you know, if you get, if you get, if you're a low end on the NFL or some other team, you're going to get paid something. They have stuff to support you. You have practice facilities and physical therapists and all the things. And golfers don't have that. They have to. So by the time, you know, they, they run essentially a small business and, you know, they spend you know, pretty much everything they make plus some to, to barely survive. So, you know, I wrote about that and that, that got some hits and, uh, and then I started watching it closely. And when it came time, what, what, what happened was, uh, I, I just saw the, the, uh, the, the cynicism, you know, of, and, and, and the shocking lack of critical thought by the golf journalists um, and a lack of reporting about where and what PIF really is and where they're invested and no real objective view of it. And it, it sort of pissed me off over time because I'm, and you know, they, same. Yeah. That, that's an, in, that's an interesting phrase. You actually said objective reporting and I, and view listeners to our show will know I've used the phrase multiple times. There are no, there's no such thing as reporters anymore. There's just supporters. They pick a team, they pick a side, and they just put out a narrative they like. That's unfair, I suppose. There are some people that are reporters, but by and large, as we've seen with a lot of the golf media, that they want, or with PGA Tour, that's going to be it. Like some of those other podcasts out there, we don't need to name them. But they were acting. <laughs> oh, we, they we were, can name them. Let's yeah, name well, names. Because, look, this ties directly into... Yeah, you've got, four, you've got the four play guys. Media, yeah. You've got the four play guys. You've got you've got no laying up guys. And they, they they weren't being fair, Bob, as you say. They they were acting as if the PIF and Saudi money had never come across across the Atlantic Ocean and that it was this was the first time that anybody had heard of Saudi Arabian money. When what makes me laugh is the PGA tour shop, the fanatics who who actually run the PJ Tour shop is Saudi owned the PJ Tour shop it's un the 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 the, the ridiculous double standards of going after the money was just it just drove me mad and actually i think for people like yourself bob and for jay and for me it actually made me go from just liking live to feeling like i had to defend it at times exactly because it was i mean even yesterday i'll give you an example um Dan Rappaport, you know the the mm. the the 
journalists, golf journalists. Too well. He talked, and, and it's just the lack of critical um, editorial. He talked about how he sent some tweet out about the value, like, hey, Tigers League has, you know, Owners and and those things they were paying. I read some you know some reports. I don't know if it's true, but they were paying small amounts for those teams, or you know, I, I doubt they've even written a check, frankly, at this point. Um, you know, but they're getting these celebrity owners, and the reality. And but you know, Liv hasn't got anything. They talk about it. it's like Dan. If you're intelligent at all about business, you know that that's the last thing that any of the Live teams would want to do because they're going to hang on until the league develops, grows. Uh, when they finally get their big TV contracts, the value, why would you want to sell a team now at no value? The best thing to do is hold it until that value grows. And there's literally no one calling that kind of stuff out. But it's so deliberate, Bob, as you say, it was so deliberate. It, it was well, no, they can't sell a live team. They can't sell a live team. Well, well, why would you want to sell a live team? Because you're not going to get any money for it. Get a league, get the growth, get the players, get to year three, see what's happening and then sell it. It was, and then, and this perversion that Serena Williams is somehow, oh, I love Serena Williams. She's one of my sporting icons, but she's somehow an investor in LAGC. No, they're not. They've, as you say, this it's very unlikely any money's been written, any checks. It was it was notional names and notional owners behind things. We know that, but this is what annoys people: the, the, this complete lack of transparency. Nothing annoys me more than this. Yeah, so go ahead. I just think if you go back and objectively look at the history, uh, even you know before I wrote my tweet, what happened it, it was that I'm watching all of this unfold, and um, the the you know the tour you know, very quickly and haphazardly coming up with elevated events. You know, they're literally taking ideas that had been brought to them by uh, Phil and other people for those elevated events and, and, you know, getting the college players to, you know, they have a pathway now into the beach. All of that was only a response to live and the lack of objective reporting about that, you know, and that was going on. And, and finally, you know, boom, the big news that the, you know, the merger quote was happening. And uh, what, what really struck me uh, was I decided, you know, I was hearing about the framework and agreement, the PGA tour was going to be in complete control, so on and so forth. And uh, so I, said, oh, I want to read this thing. So I, I figured out how to get it. And I saw a copy and I read it. And I was utterly dumbfounded that it had not been reported on correctly. It's like they took the talking points. I think it was a laziness um, of the of the golf reporters just taking, you know, pre preordained talking points by, you know, the tour or whoever put them out and just running with those. Um, but if you actually read it and understood the, the terms and what was being said, um, th- that I, I, I said, you know, everybody's missing the biggest, you know, couple things about this. One is no, if you read it carefully, it says they're going to evaluate live, but then they're also going to, they're required to figure out how to make teams work in golf. That was the spirit of, of that agreement. And, and more importantly, it talked about and it was really poorly written, frankly, in, in ways. 
and and I read it over and over. You could read it a couple of different ways, but I ended up, you know, I thought about it for probably five, six days before I posted it and read it again and said, am I reading this right? Let me just sit back and do it. And, um, I, uh, I read it and I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, you know, this thing is not what the tour. Yes. You know, it's really clear that they want the tour to be the operations and run the tournaments and, you know, the logistics of putting those things together. But, um, you know, that, that PIF would have veto consent rights and um, you could read that veto consent, right, just to be for new investments. But I said, no, I don't think that's the way that sentence structured. I read it carefully, went back to it. And by the way, when the Senate hearings uh, happened and they released all the drafts, I was absolutely right. It was a separate item and PIF added it literally at the last minute. It went on top of it wasn't part of that part. And uh, so, you know, they very specifically put in there that we're going to have veto consent rights, which means in when you go out and let's say you're going to start a company and you don't have all the money to start that company or me, uh, let's say I'm going to do a big real estate development and I want to get what's called an institutional investor. Um, I'll put up some of the money. They put up some of the money, but and they want me to run it. They want me to do what I do best, but they also make sure that they have major what's what are called major decision rights or veto consent rights. And so they put restrictions on what I can do. Like they want me to execute, but I can't sell it without their permission. I can't go out and put debt against it without their permission. I can't go get additional equity without their permission. So when you combine those major decision making uh, rights, with the fact that Yasser uh, was is was going to be chair of the policy committee or whatever it was, it just was very clear to me that essentially he's going to have significant amounts of control. Maybe not all of it, which is fine, but I, I think he would generally control it. And so I, I, I literally, uh, you guys, it was interesting. I waited for someone to to report that because I thought, am I wrong about this? <laughs> And then I'm like, no, I think I'm right. I'm like, I'm going to write this thing. And that's, that's actually how that came about. I wrote it. I'm like, cause no one was reporting it. Yeah. The people, like I remember in the tweet, I think it was that uh, Rich Eisen had on Kevin from no laying up as his contract. Expert. Okay. <laughs> I was like, and I'm listening to him. Ridiculous. It's like, this guy doesn't even like, it was so, okay, so that, that's how I got there. No. Yeah. It was. Yeah. I completely yeah, like that's some something just to sort sort of follow up on, on the media part. Like it's been so clear that the media has been out over their skis and during this entire process. And it's like it's been a giant it's been a giant miscalculation by the uh, PJ Tour and its media partners who I mean, look, uh, some of those documents, it was very, very clear that Jay Monahan basically said, you know, he's talked to uh, his media partners and uh, they're willing to do quote unquote, whatever it takes to see the PJ tour through this battle. And obviously part of that has been uh, a second, there are sort of media dogs on live and sort of Saudi Arabia and the PIF uh, throughout this uh, whole process. And like anybody that, that was like savvy enough to like understand, uh, you know, politics and sort of geopolitical stuff and just just like know exactly how this like propaganda goes. Like I've been studying it for um, a while, which is part of the reason why I I felt like I, I was able to tap in, into this very, very early on because it, it was so like I, I felt like I was a 
you know, quarterback. And I was seeing the field so clearly and like no one else uh, in the media, in the golf media specifically was like really able to sort of see what, what was ac- actually going on. And maybe they were seeing it, but it's like they refused to report on it, which was, that was at the essence of the corrupt golf media that, um, uh, that my, myself and live golf nation, shout out to him again, we sort of came up with that uh, phrase because it was very, very clear to us that like either the media wasn't smart enough to sort of pick up on this stuff or they knew about it and they refused to report on it. Either way, it's like, they're not really qualified to talk about it. So, um, I'm glad that like people like, like you and people like me and others sort of around this sort of live universe that have sort of come out of the, come out of the, um, ether and, uh, it's been clear we we've, we've been able to sort of find a um, a voice in this stuff, which which I think is really really good, and I, I think it's something that's uh, that was a hundred percent needed, and it was a total miscalculation by the uh, PJ Tour. Which, let's be honest, the, the PJ Tour they've had a track record of miscalculations the last few years. That's that's been pretty yeah. <laughs> pretty clear. Yeah, I, I, you know. So you, Bob, just very quickly, your your understanding and your annoyance came through it. But what was your thoughts? I know you spent the week that the media weren't maybe covering it, or or so called experts who. I did hear an ex an expert talking about contract law, and and they knew nothing about contract law. Um, and they obviously had no idea how institutional money gets invested. They couldn't tell you the difference in a VC and private equity, and they are different. There are so many things. I was just like, well, this is this is poor to listen to. In my background, both Jay and I got experience in those areas, and, and that's why I quite enjoy, I enjoy the business side of golf. There's a plug. Make sure people you listen out for our five new business interviews we'll be doing over the next uh, over the next month. It's called. It's going to be called doing business the fair way. So uh, wow. there we go. And I'm interview, I'm interviewing five different business owners. Bob, uh, we've got a, a betting app. We've got a guy who invented a caddy to go on the back of uh, push chairs. Different things. Anyway, but when you were reading some of these comments, there were people that didn't understand, and there were people who were deliberately misconstruing the information what what were you making of that because that idiocy and naivety are different to deliberately coming down the wrong side of something for for to be seen as favorited by a certain by by the pga tour that's how it felt it felt like they were deliberately misrepresenting it i I just i just it was shocked i it it was kind of like i mean uh jay just said best it's like you're sitting there looking at it and it's a very clear picture of what's going on. And, and some of the media folks, uh, you know, two kind of comments uh, or, or comments that, that have been directed one towards a bigger issue than towards me, you know, when I've come out in, in Sid stuff, one um, uh, about golf, it's just clear that, you know, a lot of the reporters that have got into golf, you know, I think one of them was, you know, Matt Fitzpatrick. He stopped him at college and got to be his friend. I can't remember which one that one was. It was you know, it was like, yeah. Yeah, it was Dan Rappaport. What? That's Dan Rappaport. Yeah, yeah. He has yeah. like no That's, other, like, yeah. you know, real basis of being, no. you know, having the skill set to be a good investigative or even a good reporter or whatever. And so, um, I mean, it's really weird, really, to stalk a golfer in the 
you know, the eating points at a college and, and, and befriend it. I can't ever believe he admitted to that. I just think it's kind of creepy, but, <laughs> but that being said, the, the, the skill level uh, of, of, you know, folks like that. Uh, and what was interesting is when I made my comment, they're like, well, who are you? You've never caught, con- this is like the only the 10th time you've made a comment on Twitter. And which, which, you know, like you've had no background in golf journalism. So how could you even have any kind of, uh, you know, someone that we can trust on this issue? And I'm like, oh my goodness, folks, like you can't even, you don't even know how off base you are and, and how off base they are and making those comments. It was actually pretty stunning to me, honestly, <laughs> that, that, um, that it was that bad, but yeah. So I saw, you know, those comments coming in from the reporters. I saw a lack of work, a lack of, you know, they, I could see that they weren't really trying to understand the real issues, you know? So um, there was no real work done. I mean, the reality is that the PJ tour exec executives, and I think it's really important by the way, to discern between the leadership at the PGA tour and the hardworking people that put the tournaments on and do all the work that they do. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I've learned that, you know, over this time, because obviously once you have a tweet go out, like I did, and you guys have probably seen the same, you know, you start getting people message you <laughs> and, uh, you know, you start developing some sources, if you will. And, uh, but I, I, I looked at them and they had no desire to actually learn about, you know, these types of contracts and go seek a real expert out, um, which shows their, I guess, lack of, of real experience, life experience and enough experience to actually do a good job being reporting on it. Uh, so, you know, from that view, I saw that. Then I just saw like, I've noticed one and I, well, the funny part is like, I just don't even care at all. It's, it's laughable. I, I actually laugh every time I post something and it goes out, like you'll, you see these folks come out and they're just like in attack mode. Like, uh, they don't understand that. Like, I literally love the PGA more than I than I like live golf. I mean, I've been a huge PGA Tour fan forever. Um, you know, I, I I don't feel the same way about their leadership, um, but I I do feel that the PGA Tours needed change, and you know, and I like live, and I think live's great. It's a kind of change, um, and they boy, they're just coming in, and you're you're instantly a bad person and a live chill, <laughs> all this stuff, and I'm like. Uh, like it was really interesting to me, um, to, you know, like have those arrows thrown and, and Bob, I've said it before. If I, if I didn't any of the money or all the money that people have accused me of being paid by Liv, I could fund the PJ tour myself. (laughs) It's like, how much are you being paid? It's, and you know, there's also been some kind of weird, um, folks I know, like, uh, I, I know Jay, you seen this like one guy. I'll just say his initials were BH, an old golfer. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, mm-hmm. I mean, some people like will state things, and and it just doesn't matter what you say. They're they're not intellectually. Yeah. I, I don't honestly. I I don't think they're intellectually competent to have a discussion. No, honestly. no. And uh, and this is where and, yeah. and, and I like there, there's been, I think, two people that I ended up sort of blocking, which I never thought I'd do. And that guy was one of them. Two. Uh, yeah. My list is a lot longer yeah. than two, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Mine too. The other thing that was interesting when I started coming out and being critical of the PGA Tour um, and on one particular post by Brandel Chambly, Chambly 
um, I actually just said something innocuous, like, I don't, you know, that that's not right. Yada, yada, yada. And the guy blocked me. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I was shocked. I didn't say anything <laughs> mean or nasty or whatever. I just disagreed with the dude. <laughs> and he blocked me. That's who he is. And, and then I like, you know, like, you know, there's some real nastiness. He and Eamon Lynch have been nasty to the players, you know, the, the live players, oh the different God. people. It's just really uncalled for. And I can't even believe they get away. And so, well, you know, I guess in all fairness, I've been nasty back. Like when, you know, I feel like somebody needs to defend, you know, uh, like no other person's doing it. And I made it really clear. Like I decided, look, I have a business and, you know, I do great at what I do. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to leave my, my primary employment, but I decided to take this part-time thing that I'm doing as quote, a golf journalist and be real about it and do a good job. So if I do put something out, I try to do a good job. I'm not the best writer in the world. So I have to go over it a bunch of times and I've, you know, made weird little mistakes or whatever, but, um, you know, I, I try to, I try to do that, that type of work, you know, put into it. Cause that's how I do my business and everything else. And, um, you know, I can see that, you know, in the golf world, the, the journals that are out there, you know, there's, there's a couple that I think have been fairly okay. They, they, act, well, they've been more neutral, but they're not, um, you know, as vitriolic as some of the other ones are not as bad. They're just sort of calling, you know, strikes and balls. Yeah. We've got a, we've got a grade on a curve with, with these guys for, for yeah, yeah, no yeah. one, if we're yeah. gritting, if we're gritting ob- objectively, no one has been an A. Probably nobody's been a B or a B, B plus. We're starting at like B minus and going. Yeah. going I mean, I don't have the time. I don't have the time. But what golf journalist has actually gone out and looked at sports investing? What happened with cricket in India? And well, look, this, this is the thing, Bob. And I, I had a, I had a long conversation with a with one sports journalist who. I will be fair to the sports journalists. I'm not going to say their name because the first bit's embarrassing because they didn't know and they call themselves a sports journalist, but they made a comment about how Saudi Arabia will get bored and about the money. And, and I, I turned around and said, you're a sports journalist. Do some sports journaling. Go and have a look at how much money they've spent on the Saudi football league and the billions. And, like they've got live Live is literally their total spend on live for 18 months, sort of nearly two years. Is something like a seventh of what they spent on on the Saudi Football League in one year. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's it's almost, it's shocking. And I just look at, see, I knew right away when I saw live, I kind of got it because like as soon as I saw their podium and you know the champagne, I'm like, Formula yeah. One. <laughs> you know, and I know I know that yes. Ramco is a massive Formula One sponsor. Like my son and I, my son does kart racing at K1 uh sports. Oh and, nice. And you know, we watch Formula One, which I really wasn't into before, but now I've gotten to know Formula One players. That's a great example, honestly, that people don't yeah. get again investigative journalism that they don't get that if live starts developing tour stops like, you know, in Australia and Singapore where they really develop those solid fans out there like that, that the value of that is so significant. Um, And I saw that they were, it had that formula one vibe and I'm like, Oh, that's really interesting. They're doing it. I thought it was exciting. And I think, 
what, what, what also struck me was the lack of, uh, of I, I've got something I'm coming out with uh, that'll, that'll light, come out like right after Thanksgiving, um, you know, that I've got some mm-hmm. commentary on some of the PGA Tour leadership. But, you know, in mm-hmm. general, the lack of vision and the lack of being a good CEO, a good CEO knows the threats, knows when you got to kind of like grab a hold and say, you know what, this one I'm going to have to bring in and, you know, part with right. or whatever, uh, that the lack mm-hmm. of that clear vision of external uh, and even internal threats, frankly, um, oh, is, yeah. is stunning uh, to me um, oh, yeah. because for me, it's been, yeah. you know, it's a natural I could just immediately when I saw that first podium and I thought about F1, I thought, God, you know what, what, where, and you know, I I don't want to get ahead of your questions, but where I see golf going to me, you know, the PGA tour uh, really should have never, they couldn't afford the elevated events that they did, um, you know, because they haphazardly put them together. Now they're trying to get more from their sponsors. That's just, you know, (laughs) <laughs> it's ridiculous. And so really what they should have done is, and, and where I think that this is going to go, because this is what makes business sense to me. And this is, you know, when you think about how this can all work easily and whether they do this easily or it, it ends up turning into this the hard way, I think it's going to end up w- where I'm going to talk about right now, which is we'll have the PGA tour and other tours like the European, you know, the, the DP world and, you know, the, the Asian tours and all that, you know, we'll have the PGA tour and the elevated event will really be the live events where they'll have the teams and the top players get to play at those elevated events and they'll be in the teams. They'll want to play their way on to live and they'll, they may call it something different, but it'll be the quote teams. Um, Yep. And then you would have those be the elevated events. And then you would also have the majors and, and, yes. you know, on top of that. And, you know, I thought about it in different ways and I thought, well, you know, you could have fifth, you know, you could have 15, 20 regular tour events, but you're going to have maybe 14 elevated events total. Maybe, 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 yeah, uh, maybe 15, yeah. 20, you know, but, I mean, I, but Bob, why would they, why would they want that? Why would Liv, I'm just going to say this now, why would Liv and Piff want that? If what's going on is going on and people can't play nice, with Piff having endless money, why don't Piff just do that with the Asian tour? Because the only reason to be involved with the PGA tour, the only reason was OWGR points. And they've now disappeared. And they've slipped so far down the rankings, the players, they're not going to get them. Just go and create that tour yourself with the Asian tour, the international series. You don't, you, they don't need the PGA tour. And I think the PGA tour now know that. Yeah. I, that's a really good point. Think- that's a great point. Uh, I, I think, uh, and you know, sort of my last three part series is sort of the last one. I made a point of like, look, uh, Greg Norman, uh, has built a team and, and, and Yasser have built, you know, what people, you know, I, I went, I saw this performance coach one time. He, he, he coaches the CEO of Starbucks and, and he talked about how, um, uh, when, when you have to go through hard things, uh, you become better and you become stronger. And, um, the reality is, um, that, that everyone in that entire to live organization has had to go through a lot of heartache. I mean, they, they have put together what they have in the face of a media ban, a ban on vendors. They have still managed to figure out how to pull this together and have developed a team that I, that 
uh, Ben, I think you're right. Uh, they don't need to. They, they, they're, if they're smart and they go out and they develop an international series, it's not going to be easy. And um, I think what will happen is they could do that. And, and the, the, the sad part is, is some of the majors that are now majors, you know, they're going to, they're going to, those will end up losing luster over time because as the sport becomes more international, new types of majors will evolve, I think, over time. Um, so, I mean, I think the reason, uh, they don't have to, but I think it would be great. Um, yeah, probably just cause I've also been a fan of the PGA tour, honestly. Um, and I, I, I have, that has traditions. I don't want to see go away. Yeah. That's what I want to uh, kind of tap into. Like, I do think there are kind of two, uh, two routes to take. One is kind of that nuclear option where the PIF says, all right, this isn't going to work. We're, we're going to, we're going to double down, triple down and basically say, all right, we've got live. We've got, got the Asian tour. We're basically going to turn the Asian tour and live into the tour, the global tour yeah. of the world where uh, Asian tour is already getting OWGR points. You bolt on live on top of that. You sort of create this, series of elevated Asian tour events, basically where maybe you expand it a little bit, like, and you will put it to what is the o, uh, OWGR says, like, you know, the average has, has to be 72, Just make it 72. Um, and basically offer <laughs> break out from the piggy bank, <laughs> get, give the offers to all of the stars that you've already talked to that already have shown interest um, in live. You, bring them over all of a sudden the PJ tour is in a horrible, horrible spot. Yeah. Um, I don't want to see that nuclear option happen. Like I do think that there is value to the PJ tour and its legacy. And like all of those like entry points to the sponsors that like, I know for a fact that Yasser and the PIF, they want to be involved in that. Like they want to be involved in the golf establishment. They want to be, they want to have a seat at the table hundred percent. Because it, it does sort of serve their interests um, a lot, too. I think that it's really, really important, you know, uh, to them to be part of this ecosystem. Um, and I do think that that's like kind of the angle, which is part of the reason why I feel so confident that um, it still is going to go this route that we think. Because, number one, it's going to be the best thing for the game, having everything un- under one um- umbrella. Yeah. Uh, two, you get to sort of work in lock, uh, in lockstep. The, these tours to sort of figure out what's going to be the most efficient thing to, uh, to make global golf as big as it can be, as better as, uh, it's ever been. Like, that's what I've been root, uh, rooting for this whole, uh, the whole time. I still think that that's probably what we're going to get and sort of get this sort of global series that you were sort of talking about. I, also think um, I still think that's probably going. You know, I also think it solves a problem. Uh, one of the issues that created this was you have, you know, the top tier players and why I think it's good to continue with the merger. You, you have the top tier players who were sort of, you know, really the ones driving the revenue stream and the TV and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, they felt like that they should get more. Uh, and this is not a new thing in sports. They felt they, they should get more of the pie. And so I think that that a merger, you know, when it does go through, uh, it it solves that problem in a longer term way because you can have, you know, just the regular tour events and then the players will play their hearts out to get onto, you know, what is live and the team golf, which is the real superstar thing where they go around. 
And, and if they don't, let's say they get, they don't play well and they get, you know, relegated down, you know, or off of that. There's then uh, that what really struck me and what this all comes to is like, why don't they, you know, to me, it's so easy and clear to see the vision of why make it so hard? You know, they should be cooperating and, and because it's going to be, it's going to make those, the, you know, the, the PJ tour hasn't wanted to do the fall events forever. Right. So it was really easy to see they could have had a normal tour schedule, had the quote elevated events or live, you know, team thing, go around, go international. And it really gives it a nice way for players to be able to go up and down from live, if you will. Um, onto the different tours and they're cooperate on schedules and the majors. And so just the resistance to it, uh, I just thought. But that was Jay, that was, that was Jay just being negligent as a, yeah. he's a CEO, as a job as CEO. I've said it so many times, the job of CEO and, and his very basic 101 business and makes you worry why he hasn't done it right. is you've got to examine your strengths, weakness, opportunities, and threats. Right. And he, he yeah, didn't and- do that. He said, he boasted, no. I'm not going to answer the phone. Because, because so stupid. <laughs> of course, because that's because that's their unfortunately the the PJ tour. This has become very very abundantly clear to me. Just like having studied leadership in the past, yeah, twenty years ever since I've been um, in college. So like this is part of their culture. Like Jay Monahan, the culture that he inherited and continue to build is not one of collaboration. It just isn't. No. Their culture is, and I was just just reading this thing about their uh, how the strategic partnership with or strategic alliance, whatever you want to call it, with, with the Europe European tour started. Like it wasn't really a collaboration; it was basically Jay Monahan threatening, like, "Oh, we are taking your sponsors and, and all this stuff unless you do what I say." Right, it's a takeover, <laughs> which is like, <laughs> yes, it's it's a total takeover that has been their mo from the beginning. It's like, look. That may work in certain scenarios, but when you're dealing with a behemoth like the PIF, like you can't do that. No. Like it just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that's kind of where. Yeah, they have just they have just um, you know. I also think it's about power and control. You know, for the the tour leadership, uh, they th- this is th- you know this is their world. This is their you know they view it as their kingdom and. You know, it's like, look, if you're Jay Monahan and his his crew, you know, they get paid millions of dollars. I mean, I remember when I looked at the tax return, like eight of the executives get paid more than the total purse for the Latin American tour for a season. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, Monahan's flying around on the tour jet and he does it for his personal time for personal safety. Yet nobody knows who the hell he is. You know, it's so dumb and it's so obvious. And, you know, he's building these headquarter buildings. It's his power thing. And, you know, I think at the heart of it, um, you know, I've got a post coming up. I think at the heart of it, uh, Monaghan's what I would call a number two guy. Um, he's not, he's, he's not at heart a number one, uh, a real, a real high quality CEO. He, he got a number two guy. He ain't that good. Yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, he, he was under these, these folks that helped him, you know, Wa and Tim Fincham and, you know, that kind of brought him up and, you know, he, he doesn't have the tools intrinsically. Uh, I mean, look, a number two guy or a number one guy doesn't go off on a, you know, a panic attack 
you know, uh, vacation when he screws up so badly. I mean, a number a leader, like, look, if you make the mistake, you make the mistake. But that to me shows that, look, you either have it or you don't. And, you know, to me, uh, it's obvious with the number of mistakes that he made when he had these forces building all around him, PGL, you know, Mickelson coming for the elevated events, all these things. And he wasn't able to effectively deal with it. And the way he dealt with it, um, that's a, you know, honestly, that's another thing that just really angered me was dragging the, the, the families and the victims of nine 11 into golf was the, the most, the low, the lowest of the it low. Was, that was the lowest of the low. To then turn his back on him as well, it was just awful. Just the most disgusting. Uh, I mean, he's got to be like you know, if you look took CEOs in the history of, and somebody doing something so disgustingly blatant and so public, and then literally turning his back on his own players, doing the one eighty the people that he had dragged into it and used to develop this narrative and, and frankly to hire the, the public, you know, when it came out, you know, my political instincts, when I went out to pumpkin Ridge and then hearing later, yep, they hired Coit, you know, they hired a, <laughs> a really good uh, political oh, yeah. firm to make all that happen and pay those people to be out there. Even, uh, you know, when I read that in the wall street journal, I'm like, Oh my, you know, it was ridiculous. And, I, I just think that, you know, it's been an epic failure on Monaghan's part. And um, so, well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like, yeah, Monaghan has to go. I, I think that's like the one thing that like basically the entire golf world can agree on is that <laughs> right. Jay Monaghan can't last past this deadline of December 31st. It doesn't sound like he will, but at the same time, it's like, who knows at this point? Like, who knows how much longer he's going to hang around? Like, I don't know. I, th- I think he is what? probably going to be out sometime early 2024. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, we'll have to see. Uh, if you think about it, like right now, I mean, it it sort of makes sense because like who else is going to go in and do what he's, what's going to be, has to be done right now? You know, just for continuity, Jimmy Dunn, you know, he's the only one. And, 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 and look, my guess is, uh, you know, I would say it's a fairly educated guess. Uh, my guess is that Jimmy Dunn came into this uh, because, you know, some folks realized that, you know, they had made a mistake. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I would I put a little money on this. Uh, I wouldn't put bet everything. But, you know, I believe that, you know, he was brought in to maybe try to help fix some of this, you know, on the on the tour level. And he's the only guy right now, but I'm sure he's pissed at whoever he did a favor for to come in <laughs> to get, have to go in front of the Senate. You know, that probably wasn't real positive. Yeah, yeah I know. That was, <laughs> I don't think that was in the, that, I don't think that was on his, uh, his bingo card that. when he and, took that uh, job. You know, he yeah, looked no, so sure. darn uncomfortable up there. I was like, oh God. And you know, he's a really <laughs> competent guy and, and uh, oh yeah, uh, I, I think, and he loves golf. Yeah. I mean, he does. He, he really does. Legitimately. He could be a guy right now that if Monaghan left, it would kind of take this over, but he doesn't want to do that. You know, I, I can't see him no. wanting to do that. He's, he's, you know, he's, 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 he's good at what he does. And, um, I just don't see that. So I think that, you know, that's one of, you know, practically speaking right now to get through this negotiation, you know, who else is going to do what Monaghan's doing? Can I, can I ask you both yes. a question? You say, you say, I want to ask you both a question. I want to get a quick feel of the room and, 
But you both say, oh, well, who else to get us through it? Who else is? Now, we've all agreed. I love the PGA Tour. Love the players. Love the concept. Love the legacy. I'd love to see, to see the PGA Tour and live work together. I don't like the leadership. We've been very blunt. We've all said the same thing. Now, where I was a little bit let down by some of the players, and I've said this publicly. I said it on Twitter. I've said it on the podcast before, and I'll say it again. All of the players should have downed tools on June the 7th at the RBC and said, we ain't playing unless you go. Because they'd all been lied to. He lied to every single one of them. He lied to the he had lied about what he lied about what they were thinking, what they're doing, and how they were doing it. He then turns round, goes on TV, I, I use the money and begs for money, having said he'd never want it. He he betrays the nine eleven families. I just and then we have like people like Jason Hadley or whatever his name is saying he's been let down, mate. You're under ninety eighth in the world. Just calm down. Yeah. But <clears throat> but he had a point. And while he would not have been getting compensation, there are others being let down. I genuinely do not understand why those players just didn't stand up and go, we are not going to tee up a ball at all until you go. You are the problem. You've caused this. I have a really strong view. I have a really strong view on that. The PGA Tour, by design, uh, the executive team's design, they have... Uh, kept in power because they have essentially kept the players separated. They ha- the players have not been a very, un- they're not united in any way. Um, you know, yes, they have player representatives on the board, but they haven't had this kind of an issue. So when you, and look, the way they have kept their power over PGA tour players has been by keeping them separate um, sort of being autocratic at times. And a lot of the players like fear that, um, you know, when I read the tax returns and you look at the board members, I went back a number of years and you could see the different player members uh, on their actual, where their address is for their individual investments and where they get paid. Interestingly, a lot of them have their actual LLCs and stuff at tour headquarters, their actual private. So, so the tour somehow is helping them manage the business side of what they do. Now I saw Scotty Scheffler. Nope. His is in Texas. I saw some other players. They're like, you know, Tiger wasn't there. He was, you know, yeah, there are players that are, you know, that are obviously like, Nope, I have my business things going to be here. I'm not going to have the tour manage that as well. And so I think you have a, a, a case where, you know, they have essentially managed, you know, got their fingers so far into these players and kept them apart. And that is why they haven't done that. I mean, they just have, haven't been organized. They, they've been afraid to speak up. Yes, 100%. And that sort of ties into sort of where uh, where I think golf has needed to go for a while. And it also ties into – and kind of the person that I think that that needs to lead this going uh, going forward. So, and that'll sort sort of lead lead into my last question uh, to you, Bob. So, as far as the players go, the way things stand now, it has been abundantly clear to me that like now that the PJ Tour is moving to a more for profit model, they need to have a players union. Like, there's there's almost no way around it. Like, there needs to be some. There needs to be be somebody that's, that's that's run specifically by the players that is always 
looking out for the the player's interests. Like that's pretty clear to me. That's where this needs to go. The players need to have, you know, a a 50% roughly equity in this for-profit thing, because that's exactly how some of the other, not exactly, but this is, you know, pretty much how all the other leagues are run. Like the, the NFL, yeah, the NFL, you know, the NBA, the players roughly are uh, 50% uh, you know, of all revenue, like that's where this needs to go. So we'll have to see if that actually happens. Um, I did want to squeeze in a little plug for who I think needs to be commissioner just because he is like very, he's a very, very unique candidate and he happens to be a fellow Duke alum. So I got to give him a shout out. Uh, Joe Ogilvie has been very sort of active on social media. He's been active with the players. He has 10 years of experience in private equity. Like he gets this stuff. He also has 15 years on the PJ tour. Like he gets all of this stuff, like more than any other player uh, gets it. So it's like, he is very uniquely positioned to sort of come in as the new uh, commissioner where he uniquely understands the private equity funding world. That uh, is what, what the PJ tour is currently moving towards. He also understands the legacy of the PJ tour and its players and the tournaments and all that other stuff. He is basically the only person that I can think of that could lead the PJ tour into this for-profit world that can balance the priorities of the players, the priorities of the investors, the priorities of the leadership of the tour and be the one to sort of lead it into the future. We'll have to see, but I, so the, I have a different, yeah. I mean, I think that there's yeah. two levels. I think there's two levels. There's going to be, well, yes, maybe it's the, the commissioner of the PGA tour, but that's going to be different than the CEO and who really lead in my view, who leads the commercial interests. And, you know, you, you, I think that the, the tour is really going to want to find someone that understands media, media growing, uh, you know, that really knows how to be the CEO of, of a large organization, um, you know, to, to manage, quote, the commercial interest. Now, the individual commissioner of the PGA Tour, the commissioner of Live, or and the commissioner of the Asian or D, DP Tours, you know, how, how that's all going to remain, I imagine. Yeah, I think if they were smart about it, they would in some ways keep those separate to manage those things, you know, um, in some ways. Um I don't know exactly how that, you know, you know, kind of comes out. But I also think uh, going back to the, the, the future and the player representation, I think it's important to that they solve. There should be a two two thoughts of that. And that what they need to do is figure out how to balance the interests of the majority of the tour members and then the top players. And that really what is what caused this. So when, you know, like when you have a, un, you know, maybe a player's union, you're also going to have to have, you know, the top players figure out how they're represented um, as well in their interests and figure out how you get them to, you know, sort of almost like both those groups have to agree, you know, as they move forward policy. Because that's what caused this whole, you know, disruption. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, so I think, I, think that, I think that that's going to have to be figured out um, because – because the interest of the the top thirty players are going to be different than the the the, the just the the, the journeyman uh, uh, on the tour, and I 
is is a part is part of the problem, Bob. Like you, you actually just you use the word CEO of the new co and you use the word commissioner. Is the problem here that they were that okay? You say he's he's maybe a good two, he might be a good three, whatever. But let's let's take Jay out of the situation again. Not you, Jay, <laughs> Jay Monahan. Right. Let's take Jay Monahan out of the situation. If you're the chairman, CEO, whatever we want to call it, of a top-level company, let's use oh, the PGA Tour is, is the example, I suppose. But you've got a guy who's the tour chair of the, the CEO of the NUCO. You don't really want him to be the commissioner of the tour anyway. You, it's a different skill set. It's a different person. It's a different. You, I use a weird analogy. You, you've you've got you've got big firms like General Electric. The CEO of General Electric doesn't know how drills are made in some random part of Germany or how a conductor is made in a, in a factory in Mexico. They don't need to know. They have someone that runs the Mexico factory, someone that runs the Bavarian drill making factory. I'm making, but you know what I mean? Right. You don't need, you don't want that. You don't want a person who's running new code to also be the commissioner. Yeah. I, I, that's what I think. I, I think whoever takes on that overarching role should be passionate about the success of live and teams they should be passionate about the success of the PGA Tour, and they should be passionate uh, uh, about the success of the other tours, like the Asian and DP World Tour. And that person should be guided by how do we continue to grow this game? How do we continue to uh, bring more revenue to our players and for all the players in these different tours and to make it successful throughout the world? Um, and, and you're right. I think just as the day-to-day commissioner of the PGA tour. I see that, you know, that, that being a a different job really, Um, you know, because, you know, that person's dealing with, you know, people misbehave and, you know, problems and, you know, you know, that kind of stuff. So that, that's the way I see it, but you know, who knows what they'll do. Yeah. Um, And I thought you both made some really good points about uh, the, the sort of, because there really are, there really is a tour within a tour. There really is a sort of top level player on the PG tour. And, and then there, there's sort of the rank and file. Uh, you know, when I'm talking about a new commissioner sort of lead the players, I am really talking about more the rank and file that, that like has to, that like they have a, a value that is totally different than the top players that sort of have uh, their own value. So, I mean, you, you could easily say that, that the top, you know, 20 to 30 players have, uh, as much value as like basically the rest of the 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 PJ Tour, the DP World Tour, like the rest of the golf. Like there really is these there are these so, sort of two uni- universes. That sort of leads to to my um, article that that I wrote about the sort of future of sort of teams and expanding on everything. Some some really really big picture ideas that that we're not really going to get into now. I'm going to save that for another podcast. But yeah, I've had, uh, I mean, it I've- totally I totally recognize. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I thought about, you know, when they talk about live teams, oh, only a certain number. I say, you know, really look at, look at the NFL and baseball. You have basically the American League and the National League. I mean, we may see, you know, teams from, you know, European teams that are big over there and American teams. And, and then you end up having, and I frankly think the playoffs that live have done are much more compelling than the FedEx Cup, which I've always felt is felt weird to me. Um, I like the idea of these teams you know, competing against each other in match plays and at final, you know, that to me would be a really compelling championship, if you will. 
and how golf could get really interesting um, eventually. Well, FedEx has always felt forced, isn't it? Yeah. That's the problem with the weird scoring. Yeah. And it, it, on paper, it could be good, but I think that my <clears throat> so my concern if you want if you want the PGA Tour and you want Live to work together and you want that to be the thing, I think you've got under nine weeks for it to happen. Because I actually think that if you go much past nine weeks, then Liv will start on their season and there's no going back. And let me let me explain briefly why. <clears throat> Lots of names rumoured to be going across, this, that and the other. Everyone talks about different names. But the majors are on the cusp of looking ridiculous by not having Liv players in them. You can argue, oh, well, someone can, someone can go and qualify. Oh, Lee Westwood's not playing as well as he was two years ago. Okay, okay, I can understand that, yes, Taylor Gooch could go and qualify, and he didn't. I understand that. Do I think Taylor Gooch should be in there because he's good enough? Of course I do. Is Taylor Gooch a top 30 player in the world? Of course he is. Is he top 60 player, 50 player? Obviously. But, okay, if you want to have your argument that Taylor Gooch could have qualified, I hear it. I don't agree, but I'll hear it. Willie Westwood isn't playing as good as he was two years ago and would probably have dropped out the top 50, 60, 70 in the world based on his last two years of golf. Do I think he's a top 100 player? Again, of course I do. Should he beat the PGA Championship being top 100? Of course he should be. But if three or four players leave the PGA Tour in the next six weeks and just throw names out there that people talk about, oh, you, you, have, you are the Victors, you are the Rams, you are the... Finaus, we're all these different names, right? Let's just pick any random four players: Finau, Ram, Cantlay, uh, and Shoffley, because they've been in the news about not playing the TGR, uh, not playing the in Bermuda. Again, not saying those. I'm just saying those four names. If those four players don't have direct access to majors because OWGR, we've jumped the shark. We've gone full happy days. Fonzie's jumped the shark. It's happened. Yeah. And if that happens. That's it. There is no going back then because the majors will have to give access to the live players. They'll have to come up with some rule because they can't have a major without uh, those might not be those four, but four players, four top players. They can't have it and it will look ridiculous. And once that happens, the PGA tour have got no bargaining chips left. If they don't give them access, they're going to lose their stature as a major. I mean, that's what's going to happen. The, the PGA of America and the USGA are going to be put in a situation. And by the way, those are big money trains for them. You know, when they, you know, when the USGA owns the US Open or the PGA of America has their half of the Ryder Cup, I think I got that right. Uh, you know, what, what, you know, when, uh, you know, my view is exactly what you said. If, if Liv grabs three new players a year for the next two years, and, and pretty marquee players, you have just changed the game. And what's been happening with the – this is another going back to the media. And, and their view has been, um, you know, the, the talking points of the tour. Well, you know, they knew the rules, so they're not getting points. That's just BS. It's a corrupt point system. And it is it is governed by the very people that have been trying to, to you know, push live out of the competitive landscape of golf – and it's just not even accurate in any way. And it's it's almost shocking, again, going back to the media, to see that there's no critical thinking behind that. They're just pushing a, a PGA talking point. It's, well, they knew the rules. And because watch, if it's in their best interest or they're going to get money from it, if this deal happens, watch how fast they can get OWGR points. I mean, you know, they can move really fast when it's in their benefit. It's like, 
The oh. whole thing is going to flip. Yeah. When once people have a vested interest and they realize that they're losing potentially that that vested interest and whatever it is, the, the golf establishment, the PJ Tour, the, the top level of golf, um, everything's going to flip. Now, so I just want. Yeah. Oh, ahead. I was going to say something about you mentioned John Rahm, and I I would I would say think about it this way. Now, I don't know if he's going to go to live or not, uh, you know, frankly, but uh, what I would think about, if you look at what the TGL league is doing, you know, they're doing it in Florida where all, all the guys that live in Florida can easily get to the SoFi thing, you know, and be there and show up. Okay. So if you're a tour player, how many, how many events does, do, do they play in a year? How many, like, Ron, is it 20? You know, how many is he going to play in? Uh, and, and, yeah, uh, 24. Yeah, okay. Now, yeah. is that with the majors? Yeah. Okay. So that's what I said. With the majors, about 26. 20 to 25, right? With the majors. We'll say 25. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So if you're playing 25 yeah. events, what, and you've made a commitment to your home tour back in Europe, that you, you wanted to remain a member of. Now you've got to put how many events in over in Europe. And don't forget these, uh, PGA tour players, they all have all this corporate stuff all over them. They have to play in a bunch of corporate things and everybody forgets about on their off time. They're out traveling to here and there and everywhere. And you get someone like John Rahm, who's in San Diego and Arizona. Um, or Xander Shoffley, who is in, uh, San Diego, uh, you know, for, you know, a lot of his time. It's once you play in all those events and then you have to travel to Florida, you're not one of the quote Florida crew. It's not easy. So now could he be, you know, maybe going to live or not, uh, uh, possibly, but I, I think, you know, just as big of a reason, um, is just the, the sheer number of events. And, and, and the big one that I think people have forgotten about is his commitment to the European, uh, you know, what he, he won to mean the Spain and then all. Well, he, he plays two events in Spain. He plays two events in Spain every year, plays Rolex series. And look, I, 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 we, we've all heard lots yeah. of rumors and, and, and likely, likely Bob and Jay, by the time this comes out, it will be, an, some players will be announced whoever might be coming. Right. And, I think I think we did a we did a long piece examining John Rahm and examining Finau and examining Siwoo Kim, Sung Jm and and a few others about their likelihood to come. Why would they come? And I think you've touched on that. I think you've touched on that again. That it's not it's not about name me a price here I come. There's more to it than that. And and again, I you've got to be careful how you phrase things. I wanted to say a different word, but I go the morons on Twitter go, oh, it's just blood money. Well, actually, it's not just blood money. There are people like John Rahm who've got properties in Spain, and I'm not I'm just saying because the people are rumoring him to come out. People like John Rahm who've got properties in Spain that, that, that want to play in Spain. They want to play around the world. Like Ian Polto spent time with Ian, and he is one of the nicest, most considered thinkers I've met in sport. Really talks about it. And Ian's like... He said, look, I had an opportunity. He said, yeah, money's great. I'm on the back end of my career. He said, but he talked about two things, sort of the business side of the Majestics and how all that works and how exciting. And you talked to Ian Poulter about the Majestics and trying to get the business deals across, hosting this, hosting that, meeting this sponsor, doing this four ball to it. He's like a seven-year-old who's got a pair of football boots for the first time. And he is so excited. He's laced on his new football boots, his first ever proper pair of metal studs. He's so excited about yeah. it. And he's talked about, he said for the first time ever in his career, he said, he, I think it was, I think he had 
he had eight weeks. In an eight-week period, he had six weeks off. And he went and spent time in England with his family. He said it was amazing. So, again, you could say Ram, you could say Fino, you can say whoever you want. But these people don't, don't necessarily want to play 26 or 27 events on tour and the, and the majors and maybe a couple of others. Maybe they end up somehow qualifying for Rolex. I think that people want to see, can I play 18 to 20 events a year and earn really good yeah. money? And there are players that aren't at that level that can't. So they've got to go play 25, 30 events. Well, you know, their families are important to them. And, you know, when you look at John Rock, you know, you get any of these folks that have, you know, new, new spouses, new families. That's, that's a big, you know, a, a, a Tony Finau story. I was in the Portland airport that said, you know, Tony was, is, was doing well enough not, not to be doing this. Uh, I'm at the Portland airport and Finau, it, uh, sort of walks up to the bag thing where I'm waiting for my bags and he's got his wife with him and his kids. And he's ha- he's got, you know, the, the child seat <laughs> and he's, I'm like, Oh my God. Like, you know, and I'm like, and he walks up next to me. I was like, Oh, Hey, uh, fan of yours, uh, Tony. I said, uh, wow, you got the whole crew. <laughs> he started laughing. He goes, well, I want to see him. I said, are you going to Nike or something? He was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going out to Nike. <laughs> For a thing, and but you know, all of a sudden that it hit me. It's like you know, he has to do that trip by himself, or if he wants to see his family, they're all with him, and he's got. All, if you guys would have seen him, I was like, gosh, guys, dude, you have the money, you could hire someone to at least help you carry his own stuff. No, you know, he's he's there with the family doing his thing, and um, you know, I, so I think that's important to those guys. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I think he is. Smart enough that if he is going to ink a live deal, that like a private jet is going to be part of it. But well, hey, (laughs) that's purely speculation. But if he's able to easily get his family from event to event, I think that's going to be a big, big bonus. And the way and the way that the calendar's being structured and look, we've heard and by the time this comes out, it might be out. It might not be. We've heard there might the reason the calendar's being delayed is there might be one of the events that was going to happen isn't. And I'm not going to betray any trust and neither is Jay. We've had it on good authority, an event that was going to happen and that we've talked about and we were excited about isn't. And that's why the calendar is up in the air. That might not be the case. We're not going to betray any conferences. Yeah, that's yeah. not what we do. We, we've, we've never done that. People say, oh, who's your sources? Some people tell us things. And we talk to people. We have relationships. And part of those relationships is not being a dick about it. But that... That that's where the calendar goes, but the calendar is so cleverly done. And if you look at what they did this year and what they are talking about doing for next year, that if you are again not saying Fino's come on, just saying if you're Fino and you're trying to do that family blend thing, or if you're Siwoo Kim or Sung Jm or whoever it might be, or bloody Scotty Chef, whoever it might be, the way they blend and they'll do Valderrama and then a week off, then the British Open, then a week off. And then the British live event, wherever that might be, they're doing it so that you can go, you do those, you do those five weeks, you get two live events in, you get a major in, you can have your family with you for some of it, not for some of it. And then you get two weeks off. They've done, they do the calendar really, really well. And, and I think that's a really important thing to consider. So Tony can get on the private jet and say to his wife, look, I'm going to go and do a double header. I'm going to go and do um, Hong Kong and, and and Singapore, um, I can't remember the name of the course. Sorry, in Singapore, um, uh, Sentosa. Yeah. 
Sintosa. He's all right. And I go, and, she, and, and his wife says, okay. And off he goes. He does those two. He's away for 10 days and he comes back. And he's then with the family for 14 days, 15 yeah. days before he goes away again. And then they might go on a longer trip. I think people un- don't understand. It's not just about money. These guys are filthy rich. They've got generational wealth. They're richer than you and I, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> I joke, of course, I'm poor. But the comment is the fact that people don't understand. It's not just about It's about quality of life. Absolutely. When I, you've got you know, money, like they just do. Just keep keeping your body in shape. You know, I'm getting older. You know, I'm really feel, start feeling it now. But just keeping your, your, your body in shape and you know, to recover and, you know, they, those, they work really hard and, you know, playing a golf tournament, you know, out, out when it's hot out. I mean, it takes a lot out of your body. So their ability to recover. I mean, I've, I've caddied a number of times out on the LPGA tour for some friends. And, you know, when you go, I remember I went to Arkansas one time that uh, P and G uh, sponsored an LPGA event, you know, where uh, 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 Walmart's headquartered. And I went down with a friend. She asked me if I'd come and caddy with her. And, oh, my God, you know, when you're there for a week and it's hot like that and, you know, you're you're walking the entire time and, you know, me, I had to, you know, toting around the bag. It is not easy on your body because, you know, you, you, go, you go right from the Sunday event. You know, we flew into Rogers. I'm out on the greens. I'm figuring the greens out, getting them in my book. And I'm trying to be do a good job as a caddy. But the players are doing the same thing. They've got a, they've got a practice. They've got two pro am events, and they, you know they're trying to squeeze it all in and rinse and repeat. That's a pretty tough lifestyle. You figure out quickly. It's not easy. So I think that break is really important. And again, I go back to that's why it makes so much sense that that becomes sort of the pinnacle that players will want to play into and play up to to be able to get to that level where they can be part of a league like that. Um, you know, they'll try their darndest on their, whatever tour they're on to get up to that. So they can, you know, that solves a lot of problems. It solves the top 30 problem. It solves, you know, uh, the schedule problem for the better players and, you know, all that stuff. So that's, that's why I think it goes to where it goes. Yeah. And and if, and if it doesn't, it doesn't, and we'll live in a very different weird golf world and, and, um, Connor, who does the Society of Golf, Golf Historians podcast. Not sure if you've ever checked that before, Jay and Bob. Have you ever checked that out? <laughs> no. <laughs> so I, I love it. He talks about he talks about old Tom Morris oh. and about um, Tommy Junior. He talks about all the golden age of golf. He talks about every element. He, talks, he does the the um, rise and demise of each of the golf companies like Spalding and Ben Hogan Golf. Fantastic podcast. But I, I was laughing the other day and thinking, in, in two years' time, He'll be doing a podcast looking back at the start of live and how we're where we are now, because this no, nothing more has happened in golf than has happened in my opinion. Well, golf, okay. Before Peter Stacey, whenever I say golf, always reminds me on Twitter. No, it's pro golf because there is a big, there is a lot. So nothing more has happened in pro golf. golf. Yeah, it's a lot of yeah. there's a lot in of the, stickers in the, last in the space. Year and a half. Yeah, well, you know, it's I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, there this live. Uh, I mean, it's when, when Arnold Palmer and Nicholas peeled off to form the PGA Tour from the PGA of America, you know, it's a similar sort of historical thing. And Tiger coming to golf was historical in of itself, I think, you know, was, uh, so, you know, this is a big deal and, uh, I'll be really curious to see, you know, where it goes. Um, I, I'm hopeful that, that they get this done and do what's best for everybody. Um, I'll just be interested to see all the people. <laughs> 
like that were so, so against this. You know, you can already see it happening that, you know, I'll, I'll say, look, if they have teams, they may call them something different or whatever, but it's really going to be the teams. And they're like, oh, but that would mean Liv's gone. It's not going to be, they're just, it's, there's going to be these people out there that they were so taken down the road by, frankly, Monaghan and company uh, in, in one direction that they've just lost all common sense. And um, uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what their feelings are when this, you know, new traditions are formed. And magically, a lot of those counts have completely disappeared. So, uh, right. and I expect that to sort of happen, continue to happen over the next six months. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, look, there's uh, just to sort of, I know we're way over time at this point, but uh, 17 minutes over. Put, Thank you, Bob. Just, just to put a bow on it, though, um, there's a lot of podcasts out there that are talking about the, the history of golf and all that stuff, which, which is great. Like, it, it's, it serves a really, really important, uh, important purpose. Uh, to me, the most important part about this whole thing has been talking about the future, the sort of current to sort of future of golf, because that's way, way more interesting than anything yeah. uh, that I've learned about the past, because this is it. Like, this is the most interesting time in probably the history of professional golf, because there's so many ways this, this can potentially go. I think that we're all kind of in agreement in sort of where it's going to wind up. Um, and I think those conversations are the things that are really intriguing to me, which is part of the, the reason why we started this podcast was to have these conversations that like other people are frankly not having for a variety of reasons. So, uh, yeah, I'm really excited about the future. Everybody, I've, I probably said that on like every single podcast that we've done because it's just like, it's so interesting. It's like seeing a reality show that's sort of evolving in front of you. And it's like, you have this puzzle where some of it's put together, but a lot of it, you have to figure it out. Like that's where I think the three of us have really, uh, uh, really tapped into that. And that's really a part of the interest. You know, I, I think that, that for another podcast, uh, you know, what excites me about the future and for another podcast, I mean, I see live, I bet if I, if I had a team, um, you know, they're going to want to have their own home courses, right. Or they're going to develop their own team. You know, they're going to support their teams in, in ways with performance centers and, you know, all the practice facilities, they may have home courses. And also I think about like, you know, I, I wished I would have seen more of this from Liv. Frankly, um, I think that um, that they should be going out where they have these kids leagues. I know in San Diego, uh, Chris Smeal has that great uh, kids league that he does the International League, and he's a great instructor. I think he's had over 150 kids go to college scholarship. Um, you know, but he's got these big organizations. I think those kids should be wearing four aces and high flyers hats and, you know, the lid should be. To be, to be fair, Bob, Majestic's have been really good. Yeah. About and I think. I, Maje- Majestic's been fantastic. Look, I'm not blowing smoke at Ian's ass. No, no, yeah. But, I think. But they, but they have, they've been superb with that. And also, and also the range goats. Those are the two, like they all, everyone's doing different yeah. things, but the two that I've seen do the most, especially with the range goats done a lot with young black golfers. Um, they did some young black golfers in London. I know they did think we young black golfers in a couple other places. H, uh, Harold Varner's very into sort of getting that uh, inclusive inclusivity. Yeah. And I know he feels very privileged to, to be able to do that. So, but I completely agree. There could be more. I think it's Bob, I, what I would I mean, love, what, what I would love to yeah, say. I and if I, I had like my, the A's, you know, the Oakland, we had all their like colors and logos and stuff. And I think that's how like, it's going to build like, that's, I think, where those teams will really get value and they really hook into that stuff. 
do you, do you know do you know what I think would be the great a great thing that I think could be done and it's kind of on the vein of what you had there's a lot of money floating around we know that and you don't have to buy 35 courses and facilities today but and I'll, I'll let's pick on let's pick on the four aces right very different areas geographically the four aces come from in in, in America with where double p is where dj is with p reed or where they originated from right we know in America, as there are in England, I looked it up earlier today, I found 11 nine-hole golf courses for sale. Now, there are definitely going to be more because there'll be some that just aren't on the website I looked at. If I'm the four aces, I buy one nine-hole golf course and a small with a, and put a small driving range on it in where PP's from, where P Reed's from, where U-Line is from, where DJ's from. And I get four aces, X, Y, Z in those places and they don't have to be big but if you start doing that and what you wanted there bob with those grassroots comes through and all of a sudden you have the four races golf tournament and i like the idea of nine hole golf i don't think there's enough of it get in play hour and a half done home lovely and i actually think that that could be a real thing that if i was involved in one of the teams i'd be looking into can i find some nine hole golf courses and get them going yeah yeah that'd be right. I mean, all that's great yeah, I, I think there's a lot of there's so much future in that. That's such a that's again where the PGA you know they have first tee and all that stuff and I, that's all good. But there's so much more that can be done. You know, you know I think around the teens and you know getting kids competing you know at a, at a junior level at, you know early and having teams and like you know one of the things you know I often wondered was if uh, Liv would have just strictly taken the college you know the NCAA formats, you know, because what are they? They're 54 holes, like, you know, some of them, I, I think, you know, but their team or whatever it'd be, it would have been yeah. much harder for people to criticize the PGH really criticize because that's what they, you know, I, I don't know. So like, but I, they would have found something. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So but, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think all those, I'm really excited about it. I, I, I actually frankly would love on a local level, to have the ability to, you know, almost like you see, like people sponsor little league teams. I'd love to sponsor like a little four aces or I'm a high flyer, uh, you know, fan. So I, I'd love to sponsor like a little high flyers team. That'd be cool. And, you know, get them their bags and their balls and their hats and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm waiting for that day to happen. That'd be cool. I think all that's coming. I think just the discussions that I've had with various folks, like I know Bryson is really big in it. Like, uh, this exact idea, like I definitely think it's going to happen with in various parts of the world. I, I know that they're going to tap into the India market too with uh, some of the stuff with Lahiri and like, they have really a global team. Like yeah. it's, they probably have the most global team and that's really kind of their brand. So, um, and I could definitely see all these other folks doing a lot of the same stuff. So I think, uh, uh, yeah, it's really exciting times. It's really exciting times. I'm really excited about the future of everything and sort of developing these teams and in, in golf because we haven't had it and there's been a, um, a lot of doubters. And I just, I think, look, we reached a certain capacity in golf where like we need to do some, something else. We need to tap into a younger demographic. Yeah. And this is the, this is the primary way. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be curious, you know, Liv, uh, you know, the framework agreement, you know, they weren't supposed to be really kind of looking at outside capital. The PGA Tour is obviously 
uh, been <laughs> unsolicited uh, offers coming in. Uh, you know, probably, you know, the, uh, and again, I'm just guessing, but, you know, I can't imagine Liv hasn't been quietly talking to some players. I'll be really curious to see, you know, what happens when all this shakes out. Um, that to me, that's like, I, I've been waiting, bated breath to see what, what's been going on behind the scenes there. Oh, for sure. And I'm sure a lot of this stuff is going to come out um, in time. Um, so I know we're kind of coming up on an hour and a half yeah. here because this has been such, such, such a great, great conversation. But I, I do want to get, get you out of here on this. A rapid hour and so, a half as well, mind. It feels like yeah. a really quick hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, I know it's, it's, uh, uh, totally flown by. Um, as far as the merger goes, I know obviously you've, we've already talked about it. We've already, uh, kind of, uh, talked about it at, um, at length. I want to get your perspective on just with all the information you've, uh, you've gathered. Obviously, you've done a lot of analysis that we've already talked about on Twitter. Uh, what do you think is like, let's say in a year's time, what's the most likely scenario that we have? Is it that we continue off on these sort of two separate tracks or the merger goes through and we have this additional private equity money that's more US based? It sort of helps with governmental approval here in the United States. Like, what do you think is the most likely? Yeah, I mean, I, I was my, the first thing that was popping in my head is says, well, it depends on the DOJ. <laughs> That's what I was thinking um, because, you know, like everybody forgets, you know, at a higher level, there's this, you know, 800 pound gorilla sitting out there, which is the DOJ. And so I think what would be most likely if there's a merger um, would be, we're going to have PIF that I think that the DOJ is going to want to see some other capital in this, um, you know, and, and that's, and frankly, I was told that, you know, from some of my sources when, um, I, I'd also just like to quickly, I know we're short on time to bring that up. It's like the people say, well, how would, how would you ever talk to some of these people on the inside and the tour or whatever? It's like, look, I'm out there. It's easy to find my company and my website get a hold of me. It's like, how stupid can you be? Um, uh, you know, somebody wants to get a hold of you, but, uh, the, uh, you know, I think that the DOJ, you know, I, I was told wants to, wants to see some additional capital in there. Um, and, and I think PIF, um, uh, you, you know, is, is probably just sitting back and letting some of that play out. You know, they're smart. And, and by the way, Yasser has probably had, I don't know how many people game all of this out far ahead of time now. And, and, you know, for those that aren't a student business, like maybe some golf journalists are listening, <laughs> possibly, um, you know, when you're in business and, you know, the, it's game theory, if you go to any good business school, I mean, there are people that all of this has been mapped out of decision making trees or what happens if this happens or this doesn't happen. And I'm sure PIF has gamed this out, you know, you know, all the way down you know, the road for all these particular things. And so, um yeah, so I, I think that the most likely thing of the tour is that we'll have PIF, maybe some additional outside capital because the DOJ, if the DOJ wants it. And um, um, I'm hoping, um, I think the, the smartest thing to do would be to kind of almost keep them separate for a while. You know, keep, keep I, I would per, per, personally like to see the live name stay on uh, and and have it. I, but I, I do think that that's going to be the outcome, you know, from a business side. Um and, you know, the, the TV, you know, the, the ability 
to, to grow. I think everybody's going to see the light on teams if they merge because if that's where there's so much value to be had there. So I, I think that they'll want to keep teams because they're going to be able to create so much value and, and so many more TV revenues from teams. And, and I think really compelling will be again, going back to, you know, with the Ryder cup, when you have individual matches and, and team matches, that kind of, battling uh, with teams against each other is actually really compelling. It's much better to watch on TV, I think. And so hundred percent, we need more of it. Yeah. I, I, think, I think it goes there, you know, eventually. So, but that's, that's from the actual business, just the pure business side of it. Um, you know, I think it could very well not happen um, for a variety of reasons, which would be sad um, in many ways, but you know, move on. And I think Piff, Piff could, survive and, and do a great job and actually would probably end up dominating. They'll pick some players off. And yeah, I think, I think that's the, th- I think that's the thing, Bob, as I said, if in nine weeks yeah. there isn't a deal done, I actually think yeah. that that could be, that could be the end. I think we could look back at the people and go, Oh, what crap is he talking? How will it be the end? It's the PG, but people don't understand how money works. You just listen to these people. And if you look at the SBJ article about, about, the, about the PGA tour going and asking their uh, the tour the tour host for more money for like it, it's just it, the people don't understand how money works and and that's that's what's at play here. Look, Bob, we've taken up an hour and thirty minutes of your time. If anyone is still with us, thank you. <laughs> I imagine you've either been painting a fence or doing some cleaning or doing some chores, and you've got us in your ears. And thank you so much for having us in your ears. I hope you've enjoyed it. Look, Jay, as always, thank you, buddy. I will no doubt speak to you fifty-five times in the next ten days um, or ten minutes. Sorry, and Bob, oh, thank yeah. you for coming on the show. Would, would you be happy to come back on, yeah. Bob, in, in January when it's all planned? Yeah. We have so much we could talk about, right? All these topics we could uh, almost wasn't enough. Well, I mean, I geek out on it, so it's hard for me, but I, we have a lot we can talk about. All right, what a fantastic interview from Bob Ball. What a deep look at not only the future of professional golf, but the past as well. Where and why did we end up here? Just so insightful. Like I said at the beginning, I think that's one of the best interviews I've heard in the golf industry all year. If you enjoyed that episode, let us know over on Twitter. If you hated the bloody episode, let us know on Twitter at GLU Golf Club. And you can find Bob at Bob Ball PDX on Twitter as well. I should start calling that X, shouldn't I? But I just can't seem to bring myself to. If you enjoy the podcast overall, you can join our GLU fan zone at glugc.com slash support. Huge thanks to at livegolf54 and John who joined us this week as fans in our fan zone. And until the next time, tell your friends that they can enjoy this show in their podcast app of choice over on YouTube or at glugc.com. Bye bye for now.